Say good morning. I want to greet you in Christ's name. It's good to be here. I find the fellowship here, this church at Bethel, always easy to share with. It's you're supportive and you're a blessing to be with. The title to this morning's message is Abraham Persevering Faith. The text is taken from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 to 19. If you want to turn there, I would invite you to do that. We'll be reading that in a few moments. I'd like you to imagine with me a bit this morning. We're driving in our car one day. We're going down the road and the fog starts coming down. It may be raining a little bit. I always hate those those times, but the fog keeps coming down and eventually there's almost zero visibility. Even the birds are walking. They, they are below limits for them. And uh, we lost our reference. We feel very, very much isolated. We're driving along in our car and the, we just can't see far at all. And we're starting to get very uneasy. We don't know what the hazards may be around us if someone is going to rear-end us at any moment. Uh, we don't know what we should do. Some people would lose their nerve and actually pull over, which in this case... Driving a car might not be a bad idea. People of faith have experienced very similar experiences in a spiritual sense. It seems like we're, we're alone. We don't know exactly what's up and down. We don't know where we should go from here. And God doesn't seem to be taking action very quickly. And should we, should we just bail out or should we continue on? I'm here this morning to encourage us to to persevere. To persevere on in the times when we are uncomfortable, when it doesn't seem like God is making the way clear to press on. Visibility is low. Comfort level is low. Persevering faith takes over. We don't give up. We press on. We can do that because of the promises made to us by someone we can trust. He promised us a good spot in the end. He promised to be with us in the tough spots. He promised and He is faithful. Because of who He is, I can have faith in God. Someone has said that a saint's life is in the hands of God like a bow and arrow. In the hands of an archer. God is aiming at something the saint cannot see. And he stretches and strains. And every now and again, the saint says, I can't stand it anymore. God does not heed. He goes on stretching until his purpose is in sight. Then he lets fly. Trust yourself in God's hands, for you have need of patience just now. Maintain your relationship to Jesus Christ by the perseverance of faith. Charles Spurgeon said the faith which saves is not one single act done and ended on a certain day. It is an act continued and persevered in throughout the entire life of man. That is persevering faith. The Hebrew writer says we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And in another place, therefore do not throw away your confidence which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, 
you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Our hero of faith today is the patriarch Abraham. And today's sermon is titled, Abraham, Persevering Faith. Abraham seemed to spend a good bit of his life waiting for God to work. He just kept on waiting even though nothing seemed to be happening. God promised great things to Abraham. He promised him many descendants. And he didn't have any at that point. He just kept waiting. He promised him a great land. And he kept on waiting. One of the things that Abraham seemed to do was to go out at night and look at the stars. I don't know if that gave him some connection or feeling of connection with God. But he would go out at, at night and, and, and look at the stars. And, and I think that was his quiet time maybe with God. And at a time when he seemed to connect with God. And God said to him one day, he said, you know, Abraham, your descendants are going to be just like those stars. Just whole bunches of descendants you're going to have. You're going to have a huge family in the end. And yet he had none. And I wonder if he said, are you sure, God? Persevering faith is related to several key concepts which we want to talk about this morning in the message, and those are as follows. The, the concepts of promises, of obedience, of patience, and the concept of being a pilgrim here on earth. These are all the concepts that were exemplified and illustrated in the life of Abraham. What can we learn from the faith of Abraham? What was outstanding about his faith? How can we imitate the faith that he possessed? How he, how could, how he was able to continue in patient obedience because of the faith that he possessed. If you have your Bibles open to Hebrews chapter 11, I invite you to stand and we'll read together our text for this morning. Hebrews 11, begin reading in verse 8, the great chapter of faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able to even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, 
he did receive him back. You may be seated as far as we're going to read this morning. Abraham started out his life in Ur of the Chaldeans. God called him to leave his home and familiar surroundings to go to a country that he had never seen. And uh, I think it's hard for us to envision exactly what all that involved, but Abraham obeyed. Abraham's father, Terah, went with the family group up to Haran. They stayed there until Terah died. And Abraham and his nephew Lot continued on down the land, to the land of Canaan as outlined in the book of Genesis. Abram and Lot later parted company. Abram and his family lived in tents, moving about in the land of Canaan. Once during a famine, they spent time in Egypt. In separate incidents, when Abram set up his tent, he built an altar to worship God. Abram was buried in Shechem in the cave of Machpelah that he had purchased as a burial plot for his wife, Sarah. Abram lived a life of persevering faith. Now for the concepts we spoke about earlier. Concepts related to persevering in faith. And the first one is promises. Perseverance in faith is related to promises. Promises from God in our case. Promises from God to Abraham in his case. It's a key concept relating to persevering faith. I don't know if any of you have seen Lake Tahoe on the map out west. It's the eighth deepest lake in the world. On July 4, 1875, two men discovered the deepest point in the lake to be about 1,645 feet. By lowering a weighted champagne bottle on fishing line from the side of their boat. Following the invention of sonar, soundings by the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration confirmed that depth. Lake Tahoe is so large that if the lake were tipped over, its contents would cover California in 14 inches of water. Tahoe could provide every person in the United States with 50 gallons of water per day for five years. The evaporation from Tahoe was over the course of one year could supply a city the size of Los Angeles for five years. And Lake Tahoe is a small lake compared to some other large lakes like Lake Superior and so on. Your use of water could never personally exhaust the limits of Lake Tahoe. And that would be an, ins an illustration of God who has no limits. Whatever you need, you can never exhaust God's supply. What is a promise? God gave Abraham promises. He gives us promise. It's a declaration of some future action or inaction. Something that will happen in the future or not happen. And promises are only as valid as the person making them. Only as valid as the person's trustworthiness and his capability of following through on the promise. Is he capable of carrying it out? Our scripture tells us that Abraham saw God as both faithful and strong, all-powerful and able to carry out what he had promised. God is really the only one that can follow through on all his promises. 
He can't absolutely do that because of His, his all-powerful nature. To Abraham, there were a number of promises. We'll just cover them quickly. There was the land promise. God told him that He would give him a land that He would show him. And I can see Abram running off and going onto Google Earth and looking what it was going to be like. Not really. He didn't know. He didn't have any idea exactly what he was getting into. But he, God told him he would give him this land. But he did not personally take possession of that land. He roamed around in that land for all of his life in tents. But God promised that in the future his children would receive that land. That promise was fulfilled when Israel, the nation, was, uh, took possession of that land hundreds of years later. And the ultimate fulfillment, depending on your view of eschatology, may yet be in the future. I'm not sure about that. So there was the land promise, and the second promise was a national promise. He said God, that God told Abraham that his descendants would make a great nation. He had none at that point. He had no descendants. And God delivered on that promise. The third promise was a spiritual promise to Abraham. And I'm reading from Genesis 17. You don't need to turn there. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant before me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. And so Abram becomes Father Abraham to all of us. And we can sing that little song, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them. And so are you. That was a spiritual promise, and it comes through Christ. Then there, is, there are uh, promises to believers. And I, when I was preparing this message, I thought, well, you know, let me just throw in a few, and that's what I did. Just a few outstanding promises that we have been given. The first one is our sins are forgiven. Our sins are forgiven. He promised faithfully. He says, I will not deal with you according to your sins, nor repay you according to our iniquities. He won't punish us for our sins. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love to those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, he has removed our transgressions from us. A great, great promise. He has promised us eternal life in heaven. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. He has promised us His presence in the form of the Holy Spirit. I will ask the Father and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him for He dwells with you and will be in you. God's promise of the Holy Spirit. He promises us grace for living. I feel so much in need of that grace. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. God promised us grace for living, for meeting those, those needs, for meeting those challenges. 
And then uh, Peter, in 2 Peter 1, groups them together. He says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may be, become partners of divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. As believers, we receive the promises of God like Abraham did. You know, it's not a national promise. It's not a promise of land, but it's a promise of all these other spiritual blessings. And we receive them. And we receive them by faith. And this faith that we have in God and His promises helps us to persevere, doesn't it? Amen. It really does. It helps us to go right on through when the fog is all around us and we're not sure where we're going to end up and we're not sure what's going to happen to us. Our faith in God's uh, sovereignty and God's uh, carrying through on his promises is going to take us through. So that's the first key concept I wanted to share with us this morning is related to persevering faith is that of promises. God has given us these promises. He said, I'm going to be faithful to you. I'm going to give you what you need. Um, and, and so we, we accept those promises. The second key concept is that of obedience. Abraham obeyed. And that's a key part of persevering in faith, is to obey even when we don't see clearly, even though it doesn't seem like the promise is being fulfilled right now, is to press on in obedience to what we already know, to press on in obedience to what God has made clear to us. And, and Abraham is an excellent example of that. He kept on in obedience. I read this story about a young man from India who was living in this country. And uh, his parents had arranged a marriage for him, as the Indian people do somewhat. We, we saw that in our community here. They, they, they arranged a marriage for him, but he had been living now in the States for a little while, and he had some real questions about this practice. And uh, he said, oh, great, they, they picked out a wife for me. I don't, I've never seen her. He, the young man had never seen his future bride. So she was flying into town to meet him, and he was at the airport holding flowers. Okay. And if you saw the look on his face, it was, uh, is the term lugubrious? It's very, very, very dutiful and, 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 and obedient, but he's there. And uh, she came walking up through the, the aisleway, the, the gate or the concourse, whatever, at the airport. And he saw her for the first time. And his face changed. His face changed. She was beautiful. She was a beautiful woman. And all of a sudden, the, the, the act that he was doing in obedience to his parents' tradition and to the Indian way of, of a marriage became a joyful experience. And I think that works that way for us. As we step out in obedience and we actually get to know God. The fact that this is the person we're being obedient to. This is, this is the person that we are reaching out to in faith. This 
makes it beautiful. It makes obedience an easy thing. It makes obedience a, a, a pleasurable thing. Because we have seen God just as this young Indian man saw his, his bride. We get a vision of who God truly is. And we're energized to do his mission. Abraham obeyed, our text says, when he, called, when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went, went out not knowing where he was going. But I believe that Abraham had this relationship with the Lord that made it all possible for him to persevere in faith. A couple of points I want to make with this obedience. The first one, faith in God is validated by action. As illustrated by Abraham, faith in God is, is validated by action. He didn't just go back and do another Bible study back in Ur of the Chaldees and say, well, are we, you know, this is what the Bible says. No, he, he got up, packed up his camels and belongings and what have you and took off. God said, you go and I will give you. And he, he sprung into action. And it really for us, some of you have questions about your, the validity of your faith. I know you have, or you have had, or will have. Is, is my faith really genuine? And the only way that you really know is to look at your life and say, are you, is it producing action? Is it producing change in my life? That is, that is a way to know that, in fact, my faith is valid. It is producing change. Uh, James uh, talks extensively about that. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? Action, action. Faith in God is validated by action. Abraham's obedience of faith, we know, was his his moving out under God's command. And there are three characteristics that I would like to highlight in Abraham's obedience of faith. The first one is immediate. I mentioned that. It is timely. His obedience was timely. Secondly, it was active. It involved moving forward. And thirdly, it was submissive. Submissive to God and what God is asking of Him and of us. Persevering in faith means obedience to what we know God is asking of us. The promises may be delayed from our perspective. Do we park the car because it's foggy outside and we are making slow going? No, we press on in obedience. That is the perseverance of faith. So the second key concept is obedience. Brothers and sisters, you persevere in faith by obeying what you already know. That is, that, that is a perseverance of faith, of, is, is obedience, not rebellion, but obedience. The third concept is that of uh, patience. And the Bible lists Job as being probably the most patient man in the Bible, but I think Mo, uh, Abraham had to be up right up there as a patient man. Patient, patiently, patiently waiting for the promises to actually happen. I read the story of a 
of an athlete from, Ar from Costa Rica. His name was Arturo Kinch. Arturo Kinch is a competitive cross-country skier, believe it or not. He hadn't seen snow until he was 19 years old. That's the first time he saw snow, but he decided to get into, uh, into cross-country skiing. He was a missionary kid, and he trained for the Olympics in 2002. And Arturo is a Costa Rican man from the tropics, but he's a folk hero in Norway. And this is how it happened. Arturo entered a competition. It's called the Holland Ski Festival in Norway as a training thing, I guess, because they actually had snow up there. And he, he entered this competition and he skied the 50-kilometer cross-country race. And they had, it's quite a traditional event. The king of Norway would come into the stadium at the end of the race and he set up a little booth right there in the middle of the, of the stadium. And as each of the skiers would finish the course, as they were skiing out there, they would ski on up into the stadium and they would go right by the, the little booth and the king of Norway would shake their hands and so on and congratulate them and whatever. But Arturo had problems up in Norway and he, he fell down and he broke his tailbone and he was just getting left further and further behind where most of the skiers made it in a couple hours, a couple of two and a half hours, something like that, in three hours or whatever. But Arturo was making heavy, heavy water. And he was starting to feel more lonely <laughs> all day as he was going along, just that nobody there. And his, his, he, he expected that when he would get to the stadium at the end point, he was determined to make it. He had persevering qualities to him. And he expected that everybody would have gone home and the, and the banners would have been pulled up and, and everything would have been quiet when he got to the stadium. But he got there and there was huge crowds and applause and the king of Norway was still there. King of Norway decided he is going to wait for Arturo. He is going to wait. And so a couple of hours after the other Skiers got in there. The king of Norway just sat in his little booth. He's going to congratulate this, this Costa Rican fellow. And so he did. And because he sat there, the whole crowd felt that they should stay as well. And so Arturo got his, his applause and his congratulations when he, in a daze, in, in confusion, skied on by the king's little uh, building there. And... He illustrates to us the patience that is necessary in persevering faith. The patience to continue on when we start feeling really lonely, like nobody's there with us. The patience to continue on when, it, when we can't see. When we can't see around us and we don't know what's next and so on. Abraham waited. He was patient. It was 25 years from when he was promised a son until, until he received the promise at 99. Waiting and waiting. Going out late at night and looking at the stars and recalling God's promise that he would be a father of many, many peoples. And asking God maybe, you know, God, uh, you know, isn't it about time, do you think? 
that we start getting this thing going and wondering whether it's going to happen maybe, but in faith, believing that it would. And another thing is that Abraham struggled. I think it's so helpful in the Scriptures that the struggles of these people are actually shown for us. He struggled. He struggled with his patience. And we know the account that he, he actually had a lapse of faith there a bit, and then he went and fathered a child with his servant girl. And Ishmael became a huge problem and, and is a problem yet today over there. So he struggled. He, he struggled with patience at times. God's promises and God's purposes are not accomplished overnight. That's a fact. There's no FedEx next day, next day delivery often with God's promises being fulfilled. J.C. Philpott, who is a contemporary of Charles Spurgeon, shares the following in a message. Now, patience is necessary in order to prove the genuineness and reality of faith. The Lord generally, I may say invariably, does not accomplish His purposes at once. He usually, I might say almost invariably, works by gradations. Is not this the case in creation? Do we see the oak starting up in all its gigantic proportion in one day? Is not a tiny acorn committed to the ground and not the giant oak whose huge limbs we admire the growth of a century? Men and women are, are years growing up to their full stature. Patience is necessary. Do not throw away your confidence, the Hebrew writer says, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. But my righteous one shall live by faith. If he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. And then that scripture that I read at our meeting the other night from Lamentations has really become meaningful to me. Lamentations 3, verse 19. Remember my afflictions and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. We have need of patience. We have need of patience to, to wait on God. It's not a sprint. It's not a stroll in the park. It's a long, hard race. And Arturo Kinch from Costa Rica could tell us something about patience, running with patience, the race that is set before us. You fall down. You hurt yourself. You don't, you don't quit. You get up because you are confident in God that He will work things out for you. You experience setbacks. And we realize that God has promised, even in our tough times, to be there with us and to provide a way of escape that we may be able to bear it. The final concept of having to do with persevering faith is that of pilgrimage. And as I was meditating on this message, I realized that this is probably the practical part of persevering faith for us today. This, this, this gets on into shoe leather. 
Abraham was a pilgrim. Yes, he was. Pilgrim is one who journeys in a foreign country. He's not at home yet. He keeps on traveling and doesn't put down roots. That's a concept that is getting lost in our culture today is, is, is the fact that, that we are not at home here. We are pilgrims. Yes, you have a place of dwelling. Yes, you have a place where you go at night to sleep and you have your family there and you, that's your home base here. But in, in a real sense, a Christian is not at home here. That's a concept that, that should be shared from the pulpit time and time again. We're not home. We are not home. Sometimes we act like we are, and we're not. We are not home yet. In the foreword of his book, Inside Out, Larry Crabb writes this, and I'm quoting, Modern Christianity in dramatic reversal of its biblical form promises to relieve the pain of living in a fallen world. The message, whether it's from fundamentalists requiring us to live by a favored set of rules or from charismatics, urging deeper surrender to the Spirit's power is too often the same. The promise of bliss for now. Complete satisfaction can be ours this side of heaven. The effect of such teaching, continues Crabb, is to blunt the painful reality of what it's like to live as part of an imperfect and sometimes evil community. We learn to pretend that, we feel, that what we feel now we cannot feel we can feel it now, but we should reserve it for heaven. Beneath the surface of everyone's life, especially the more mature, is an ache that will not go away. It can be ignored, disguised, mislabeled, or submerged by a torrent of activity, but it will not disappear. And for good reason. We were designed to enjoy a better world than this. And until that better world comes along, we will groan for what we do not have. An aching soul is evidence not of neurosis or spiritual immaturity, but of realism. An aching soul. An aching soul that will never be at rest here is an evidence that we are pilgrims. An aching soul that is looking toward the future. These all died in faith not having received the promises, our text says, but have seen them and greeted them from afar and have acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. These were men of faith. These were women of faith that Hebrews 11 talks about. They acknowledge that they are strangers and pilgrims. It's a concept, brothers and sisters, that we've got to keep in our minds if we want to follow God's purpose. We are not, we are not, at home here. We are citizens of a better country. We are not at home here. Christians are pilgrims. Three things that pilgrims practice. I, I should uh, preface that just a little bit. Christians are pilgrims. I was, uh, I read a book in preparation for this message. And it's F.B. Meyer, and I don't know if you know what his actual name was. It's Frederick Brotherton Meyer. He was a Baptist preacher and an evangelist in England in the late 19th century, early 20th century. He was a contemporary of D.L. Moody. 
Maybe that's why he abbreviated his name too, I'm not sure. But anyway, I read his book, and I want to share just a bit of a quote from there. F.B. Meyer, The Obedience of Faith, Abraham, The Obedience of Faith. He says that sometimes pilgrims hang out in caves, but usually not. Very often they are to be found in the marketplaces and homes of men, distinguished only by their simpler dress, their girded loins, their restrained and abstemious appetite, their loose hold on gold, their independence of the maxims and opinions and applause of the world around, and the faraway look which now and again gleams in their eyes. These are the pilgrims. For them, the annoyances and trials of life are not so crushing or so difficult to bear because such things as these cannot touch their true treasure or affect their real interest. Pilgrims. And I had to think of that in our current circumstance. We, some of us are news junkies. We like to follow the news. And, and you, you're looking at the, this election coming up in about a month. And, and uh, my, you can get all taken up in it and get all bothered by it, you know, and take sides and get all, you know, involved with it. We are not first citizens here. We are first citizens in heaven. And God is going to take care of us. God is going to work this thing out for his glory. And we don't need to get so involved and so worried about the present circumstances because God is in control. And this is not, after all, our first allegiance, this country. It certainly is not. It is way secondary. And our primary allegiance is to God. Three things that stand out about pilgrims, and I'm taking them from the life of Abraham. Number first, the first one is the tent. The tent. Abraham went around living in a tent. Tent's not terribly expensive. It's very irritating to try to set up if you don't know how you, what you're doing, but it's, it's not terribly expensive. It's not terribly substantial. And the, and the principle here is that uh, we can actually uh, invest too much in our place of abode. Now, Sam, now you're trying to step on somebody's toes. Maybe. I'm stepping on my own while I'm doing it. Our tent needs to be a, a functional place to live in. It, we don't have to make it into a palace. We really don't have to. I think there's nothing wrong with making it comfortable and making it useful and making it beautiful, but it needs to be there, a place to live. Why? Because we are actually not permanently here. The tent is the principle of pilgrimage. The tent means that, that, there, that there is going to be something later on. Abram lived in a tent. It was very impermanent, not terribly expensive. The second principle is the, the altar. Wherever Abram went as a pilgrim throughout the land of Canaan, you read through the book of Genesis and you'll see him coming up to wherever and he would set up an altar. And that is something that we as pilgrims need to do also. Wherever we are, we need to set up our worship. Our worship is, is wherever we are and it needs to be a priority when we arrive to where we're going is our altar. Our altar needs to be one of the first things that we set up. The third one is the view. 
And the theme of this message has been Abraham out looking at the stars. And they could represent the promises of God. The view is the promise of God to us. I want to introduce you to a word that you may not know what it is. The word is pronounced funambulist. How many of you know what a funambulist is? It's a tightrope walker. A funambulist is a tightrope walker. I didn't know that till recently. There's a special word for those tightrope walkers who display amazing feats of balance on a high wire. They're called funambulists. In his book, Off Balance on Purpose, business leader and funambulist Dan Thurman writes that these daredevils are constantly making small critical adjustments, lifting their free leg as a counterweight, raising and lowering arms, adjusting their pole. A good funambulist is never truly at rest or on balance. As a matter of fact, Thurman writes, they are perpetually off balance making adjustments that bring them through a point of balance only to readjust on the other side. Most of these movements are so subtle that they are imperceptible to the audience. They make it look effortless. But it's not as easy as it looks. So how do they maintain their balance? When the new students step onto the rope, they almost invariably look down at the rope to make sure their feet are placed on the rope. Big mistake because they're going to fall. New students tend to look at the bar that they're holding out each side. Look at the placement of their hands. Big mistake. The experienced funambulists direct their gaze toward the platform at the other side. And if you could look at it very, very closely, if you could watch them very closely with their feet, you would probably never notice it if you were watching them from a little distance, but they're constantly adjusting their feet. They're constantly adjusting themselves. They're constantly adjusting their, the bar. They're constantly making little corrections as they're moving along. They're never static. They're never still. And they're adjusting them with their eyes on the goal at the end. If you're an ambulist, is an, is an illustration of the Christian who has a view of the future. A faith in God who is building for us a city that has foundations, Hebrews says, that is made and built from, by God. I want to just recap real, real quick. Abraham is an illustration of persevering faith. A faith that perseveres. And the key concepts related to that were his prom God's promises, claiming the promises that God has given. Obedience. Stepping out in obedience. Thirdly, patience. Not giving up when we are waiting. Being patient and allowing God to work. And then finally, the pilgrim concept of not holding things tightly in this world. But moving forward and directing our gaze toward that distant prize and the one who will tell us well done thou good and faithful servant may God bless you and we'll call for a song